Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of The Queer Quadrant, a podcast where we, two bisexual filmmakers, examine cinema in all its cultural contexts and explore why your favorite four-quadrant blockbuster is maybe not as straight as you think it is. Boy, 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 boy. I know you didn't just boy. open this podcast with a reference boy. from hey, sorry, what? Wildlife 2018, directed Maybe. by Paul Dano, which has boys, nothing to do. Boys, 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 but that doesn't, you know, It would clean. have been better if you had started can... singing Boys by Charlie XCX. Oh. Or Boys, Boys, Boys by Lady Gaga. Mm, okay. Also acceptable. I mean, so you picked the seeing... least gay reference you um, could possibly go for. Yes, but <laughs> what my first note while watching this was was just boy, boy, boy. Just because. And why? I just always on the mind. Because him yelling. Because I'm, my brain, brain is broken. I know it's fine. <laughs> Anyways, whatever. We. This is why you guys are writers. We're here. You're punching me up. I understand. <laughs> Thank you. Punching you up. Punching you for a wildlife reference over Charlie XCX or Lady Gaga. And Lady I know. Gaga. I'm actually <laughs> fucked up on I mean, me. On, honestly, man. like those are my two like. I know. Things. The two late. The your two gals. That's so true. God, I'm was, so problematic. No, it's okay. It was valid of us to call <laughs> Being you out. Canceled. And this is what we call accountability. Mm. Um, culture very, hasn't gone far enough, in my opinion. Yeah. So true. Couldn't agree this is more. very boys in the band of you guys to be coming at me you know like these acidic attacks <laughs> um what's up hello i'm brooke solomon jordan gustafson we love talking about cinema we love talking about being queer we mm. love talking about queer cinema and mm. we are here talking about it today on mic we are joined by uh, a writer a critic and author of the queer film guide out now it's kyle turner Hi, I'm so glad to be here. Thank you so much for having me, Brooke and Jordan. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, We are so happy to have you and delighted that we get to talk about this movie, which is a quote unquote four quadrant blockbuster, not... Mm really but also a it little passes bit passes the test it passes the test we're t- today we're talking about the 1970 film the original really the only version that wow. we acknowledge um of the boys in the band uh admittedly i have not seen ryan murphy's 2020 version I that was done with either. the broadway revival cast kyle have you seen both versions of the film i have seen both versions of the film and uh, do, should I should I should I well my feelings about um the Ryan Murphy produced Joe Mantella directed version of the film um has a lot to do with how I feel about the um, original version and I'm not sure mm. if you want me to get into it now or okay, if we, we can yeah we wait. can save I we'll feel like save. that we, we can bring that in at the end you know we're, what we're doing mm. is we're planting a seed you know that will be paid off Set later up pay mm-hmm. off mm-hmm. Yeah. Bang, bang and I do love to plant seeds <laughs> we we do love huge huge <laughs> huge for us all yeah um i have to ask so when we came to you we have like an extremely long list of movies i would say arguably like sometimes too long and you kind of narrowed it down to some movies but then you, we ended up like landing on this one what for you is your relationship with this movie what drew you to it why is it one that you want to talk about and my I, I think this has been the case uh for me for a lot of my personal history as a consumer of pop culture and um, of queer um, cultural artifacts and of film in general and as a writer. But I love things that are kind of, um, shall we say, problematic or at least like require a lot of um, 
context or they have not so much a barrier to entry but like the it, to be a viewer of them and engage with them on their own terms it sometimes means um thinking about some of the messier aspects of what these films represent or are uh, or indicate as far as how they present queer life, how they present representation, et cetera, et cetera. And so things like the boys in the band or cruising um, or uh, or even um, Edward II, um, the Dark German film, I think are really interesting to, to think about um, because they have like, they, they are contradictory and they have, they're paradoxical in ways that I find really um, compelling and um, really, uh, satisfying to think about mm. yeah yeah no, I, I think that's that. that's a wonderful and very succinct and eloquent way to put it do you like write a book or something <laughs> <laughs> uh, a couple words you know because <laughs> I, I hadn't seen this movie and i had, had also not, not yeah. seen this movie. but it was sort of one that i feel like is so in the cultural conversation or at least like is sort of something that you know about like once you kind of either a come out or b or just starting to like ingratiate yourself within like queer cinema at large and so I feel for the first time like watching this movie I was not I guess I really didn't know what to expect going in and coming out was excited about how thorny and how prickly the movie was Mm -hmm. both in terms of like substance and in terms of just like how it made me feel uh Mm -hmm. and I think that's sort of why I'm excited to talk about it today because it isn't such a clean cut and dry movie especially then Mm -hmm. like you read about the divisiveness of it after the release and how like the queer community uh, reacted to it back then, how people react to it now. It's just kind Mm -hmm. of a a beautiful little thorny movie. Um, Yeah. So yeah. What was, Mm -hmm. what what did you feel watching it? Well, it's interesting because on this podcast, as the title Mm -hmm. may suggest, a lot of time we're dealing with queer cinema that was made at least partially with straight audiences in mind or assumedly straight cinema that, like has queer undertones that have crept in. This is like a, uh, you know, sort of milestone in the history of queer cinema because it is not specifically not engaging with those spaces, um, but has like still has the quote unquote prestige idea of Friedkin directing and based on this really acclaimed play and like garnered enough uh, you know, notoriety to be in the Golden Globes conversation. Um, so I really like I loved this movie. It made me deeply stressed out um, and I had to mm-hmm. go for a walk afterward. I felt very <laughs> claustrophobic at the end of this. Movie, oh, my God. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Which is obviously intentional. But I liked it because um I think that this is, in the most positive way possible, this is much more accurate to a lot of the queer friend groups that I know versus, Mm. like, almost every other queer group of friends that's depicted in media. Um, There's a lot of petty bullshit that goes on, and it's petty in a very specific way. And I love how this film, to your point, Jordan, just, like, really goes for it immediately. Mm -hmm. Um, The 1970 version of the film is included in your book correct yes it is yes Yes. it is how was it sort of like diving into the research of this film like were you super familiar with it and how it came to be and sort of like its place in the history of queer cinema um i had seen the boys in the band probably when i was in high school um because that was i even though i wasn't out then i was developing an interest in some kind of i i of like a 
not if not a specialty then at least like a, a fascination with like films that came from uh, some sort of marginalized community um i was raised watching like two long food things for everything julie newmar yes, and the birdcage yes. and so i like mm. had a a fairly um like a basic understanding of a lot of things that were at least culturally queer um uh, even if uh, regardless of whether they had like queer characters in them and so by the time i hit the boys in the band i was like already a fan of Edward Albee's the Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf and so and had also developed a taste for my one what would become my favorite subgenre of of film uh, which is like um middle class white people screaming at each other while drunk <laughs> yes um, and and um uh, my feelings uh, when i saw it then honestly haven't changed a great deal if I, they have maybe come become more sophisticated and deeper but like it is i understand it as a valuable cultural artifact that i find like very interesting but i don't know if i necessarily enjoy the experience of watching it um because of the way that the performances are pitched to the camera and like mm-hmm. William Freaking mm-hmm. doesn't really do anything to sort of modulate what they're um supposed to sound like exactly um but anyway um i was familiar with, with familiar with the film and and familiar enough with the play via the film. And then I um, rewatched it when I spent some time living in Provincetown before I moved to New York, I'm based in, in Brooklyn, um, and read the original play. And then by the time I um, wrote the book last summer, um, I had a bunch of that back knowledge, but then I did a little bit more research as to how it came to be. Mark Crawley um, used to be Natalie Wood's assistant. Um, <gasps> and she was, uh, pretty instrumental in encouraging him to pursue playwriting. Um, and from that, he began like putting this, um, this very like drawing room dramedy basically uh, together of all the things that he had experienced and the, the sort of ambivalent limbo that white um, young professional gay men occupied in like the mid 60s um in at least new york and um it was interesting sort of trying to think about the context within which it was released um because it was technically the the play was staged pre-stonewall uh which is Mm -hmm. um whether we like it or not the sort of um temporal signifier of like the birth of the modern gay rights movement even though there are obviously precedents to the stonewall uprising but the the play was staged um off off broadway um or off broadway um in 68 and then was adapted by friedkin in um and was released in 1970 and the fact that the film that the the text as it were um you can please slap me in the face if i could sound uh, annoying by saying text all this time no the fact that it's great (laughs) that boys in the band is able to occupy both before a moment both before Stonewall and right after Stonewall is really interesting mm. in terms of the sort of internal tensions that exist even in in the show or in the in the film um and the sort of like watershed moment that queer people are experiencing sort of coming to their own um consciousness and political radical potential and then when you have like the 50th anniversary Broadway revival that's produced by Ryan Murphy and directed by Joe Mantello and the subsequent Netflix adaptation of it that was also directed by Mantello. It's um, all of these things, even though they are um, sort of 
meant or intended to be a look at the inter interiority of a certain kind of gay, a metropolitan gay person, I think ultimately Boys in the Band, once you realize like that, a lot of it's like dramaturgical machinations are like very similar to lots of other plays yes. from the era. Mm -hmm. um, it best functions as a way to s see how like gay people who were creatives were then sort of like trying to channel their own anxiety about their changing mm -hmm. place of power and status at any given moment that a version is like produced. Mm -hmm. Yes, absolutely. Um, and I think like, especially love your point about how this is like a, a what is it called? A um, drawing room drama or some mm, yeah, version yeah, of yeah, that. Yeah, drawing room comedy, yeah. drama, yeah. whatever. Like it's, it's, it's reflective of it's it's um it's reflective of the time it is very accessible in a certain way and that it's putting you in a situation that you recognize at least in like its vague shape and then introduces mm -hmm. characters that maybe you're not familiar with but it also mm -hmm. feels like i don't know i looking at this film um, from 1970, I did not feel like it was catering specifically to people who might not understand the inner dynamics of what um, this type of friend group looks friend like. Group. Even the poster, which... <laughs> great poster. <laughs> great poster, mm -hmm. um, which like just features um, Harold uh, and the Cowboy. Leonard Fry and the Cowboy. Yes, Cowboy Tex. Um, is so like tongue in cheek and mm -hmm. not reminiscent I think in a good way of what the actual meat of the film is not at all yeah you really like, think it's gonna be like yes ah, the... ah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah you know it uh and I like that I think it is like a deliberately off kilter poster and way into the world by mm. familiarizing familiarizing you with like you know this type of sort of like drama virginia wolf basically. yes yeah. yeah and um we're just gonna totally turn it on its head and make you feel um real bad I think in it's... a variety of different ways wait do you feel good watching this event virginia wolf <laughs> no oh, because i do not. i just wanted to check i mean <laughs> Great vibes all around. I feel they so have such a good loving powerful. relationship. I feel like the state of marriage is really strong. <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah. Relationship goals, honestly. Oh yeah, huge. I think like what's so good about this movie too is you we're talking about like Stonewall and like sort of where it comes within like the queer movement, but also I feel like it comes at such a potent time within like the film like history at large because it's coming out right after the production code uh dissolves in like 1968 so like sexual perversion quote unquote becomes like mm -hmm. okay okay to have in your movies and so instead of having something that is like so subtextual which you know movies that we've covered before but it's kind of out and out able to have it within the american system yes. you know on a mm -hmm. larger scale to talk about being gay and even though gay being gay at the time was still a mental illness they could actually like portray the characters on screen which I think is what mm -hmm. makes this movie sort of fascinating as well, because we sort of talked about this before um, a few weeks ago with Kyle Stevens when we were talking about, uh, we like touched on Virginia Woolf and sort of like how that movie, uh, you know, coincides with like Nichols's career, like w earlier, obviously, because we talked about the birdcage, but Virginia Woolf was obviously like huge for him. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, no, I feel like this movie comes out sort of at like 
a, a specific pinpoint in time that couldn't necessarily happen again. And I think like right, this movie right. needed to come out when it did. What is so fascinating about it is ultimately like too, if you boil it down, it's so hyper specific about like Crawley's own life and his own experiences. And then like us mm-hmm. grafting on to that, our own respective queer experiences, our own respective like queer thoughts and pulling from his and seeing like, what can we take from this queer friend group? And like, what are we seeing? Like, are we seeing like this internalized homophobia? What is he saying about like himself and like his own insecurities and like this friends groups insecurities and sort of at the end of the day, like, yes, it is like a very depressing movie and it sort of fits in within the confines of a lot of queer movies that we cover, which is, they end kind of shitty. It's not a great life for the gay characters, <laughs> but I think because of when it comes out and what it's doing, I think it's elevated a little bit more than if something you know came out like five years ago and was kind of doing the same thing. If that makes sense. Mm. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. And also w- to your point about the the um, uh, the production code dissolving, this uh, Boys in the Band came out um, a year after Midnight Cowboy uh, won Best Picture, which is the only one to have. Uh, been rated X and win um, yeah. the Best Picture Academy Award. And it's interesting to think about that film in relation to Boys in the Band just aesthetically because I think it freaking at, at that point, he was working in a lot of like adaptations and I don't think he necessarily found the, um, or at least the the kind of aesthetic that maybe people associate him with as far as like a gritty version of gritty propulsive vision of New York um, is not present here except for like the very beginning sequence where you're seeing all the characters Mm -hmm. who are going to be at this birthday party sort of running around New York and whatnot and you see Julius you see all these um, stores and the streets that they're walking through a very different version of the city that like John Voight is walking around in mm-hmm. um, in Midnight Cowboy and totally. then it wasn't until like the French connection that we're seeing like the city sort of in all of its decrepitude and I think if the boys in the band could hypothetically be read as like Friedkin's version of like gay decrepitude and the way that like the city sort of gnaws at like the um, promise of like uh, some sort of gay utopia um, in a relatively accepting space I, I think that's where you can sort of see um the the nascence of of his what his style would eventually become yes because it's wild how early this is in his career the yeah, only yeah, you know the only like main reason that the film wasn't directed by the director of like the original play robert moore was because um you know the producers were like, nah, we should probably have someone who has actually directed a movie before. Like, a movie. like this is yeah. essentially a four hire job for Friedkin, yeah. which is pretty <laughs> wild. And then he goes on like an unprecedented run after this, like going from this to then French connection to exorcist to sorcerer. It's yes. kind of incredible. Uh-huh. <laughs> yes. The French connection is literally uh-huh. his first, his next film after directly right. after this, which is then like a transformative uh-huh. again, like piece of New York cinema and sort of, he mm-hmm. does, it's like watching this movie is like you can see elements of his mind at work. Like I think, you know, what makes the movie effective in a claustrophobic sense is like so much of the beginning we're outside, you know, we're moving between these two spaces so we don't feel so contained within these rooms. And again, as you said, we're opening by walking through the city, but by the end of it, we are just trapped in this fucking room. We're not moving. We're not leaving. And yes, there are parts that, 
could feel, you know, maybe slightly more dynamic, but I do like what he does with the camera by essentially slowly, you know, shifting us in there. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, you know, the next movie he makes has like the best chase sequence ever. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, then... you wouldn't expect him to be able to do that coming from this movie. Yeah. It's, it's also mm-hmm. wild to see him obviously go on his like insane run and then 10 years later come like return quote unquote return to cruising, which mm. is uh-huh. another wild, wild movie. Yeah. Um, that we will cover. We, oh, we will absolutely time. cover. We also really, really want to cover to Wong Fu. Thanks for everything, which is this uh-huh. like crazy hit. It sort of, I don't know. We've, when we talked about the birdcage, that mm. was an interesting, like, sort of comparison and we recently talked about midnight cowboy uh-huh. we're just going through like gay new york like uh-huh. movies business uh-huh. um uh-huh. like joe buck we're going through gay new york it, yes it's yeah. just i Indeed. think it's i think it's very interesting to have friedkin do this job as a gig um then go on to become sort of like this carte blanche director have his pick of everything and decide to do something mm. like cruising Within the with queer pacino yeah. yeah um with like a movie star too. This, uh, the cast of the boys in the band, the film is basically identical Mm -hmm. to the original cast of Mm -hmm. the play. And the 2020 film did the same thing with like the revival cast. Um, the overwhelming majority, if not every single person in the cast was gay, but all of them remained closeted for a bit after the success of the play yes there was one i was reading there was one guy who was like adamant that he oh reuben green was adamant that he was not gay and said it many times he did not want to be called gay he plays bernard going through the cast themselves i mean it's pretty i think this is sort of like the devastating part of you know the 1980s and overall like you know queer new york is so many of these actors died of aids and or aids related complications yes i think it was six out of the nine died mm-hmm. because of that if uh no sorry five of the nine died from the aids epidemic which is fucking horrible uh and especially to be coming from this movie which is so important to the movement to then lose so many creatives mm-hmm. because of it uh is kind of awful but again i think that's not to say like it's part and parcel with like what the movie's digging into but i think it is fascinating if you look at the movie in general because of a lot of what they're talking about is like wanting to die and feeling like they are like unable to live a full life which i think is fascinating because like while they are together they are able to be their full queer selves but you can tell that they are constrained by the weight of the closet both in like a true like physical sense when they go outside they can't be themselves but then also the psychological Mm -hmm. toll that it's taking on them yeah oh i think they're also constrained by their expectations of each other Mm -hmm. i think um certainly one of the reasons why uh it, it is as fascinating a document for um, a lot of gang crew people is um, the um, the it, it's very proto velvet very proto velvet rage, which is something that I don't especially agree with or care for. I find it like a pretty myopic um, perspective to to embrace hmm. um, personally. But there is the, the the degree to which they use their self-loathing as a weapon to sort of confine their friends and the mm-hmm. people around them into a certain version of what uh, either a kind of gay person that they think they should be or the kind of gay person that they know they can't be um and just lacerate one another for this um inability to to um embody that sort of unrealistic 
Yes. Um, even even um, not completely fleshed out archetype. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that like where this movie and this sort of like work is so this text if you will is so successful um in terms of really getting to the heart of that is that it is very intentional about how many times the characters make intentionally shitty choices Mm. choices that are well within their control it does not feel like this is a story of characters being so burdened by the terrible fact of being gay that they have no choice but to lash out at each other. It is a very sort of like gripping portrayal of the fact that you still have to choose to make good or bad choices or respect or disrespect your friends over and over and over again. And that you can choose to be swept up in velvet rage, which is one of my favorite terms. I just think it's like very, it's a, it's appropriate. It's, it's like it's a good. lavender I'm, marriage. Yeah. I'm sorry it's for, like, I'm sorry for it. No, 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 no. I'm, because I agree with you, but like, inter- it's like a lavender marriage, you know? It right. just, it sounds like the way that it, rolls it off feels, the you know? Yeah, um, yeah. But it really puts, you know, being gay might not be a choice, but being a bitter asshole definitely is. And under this movie, like really, I think lays out the relationship between the two and how that could complicate things. But that how, at the end of the day, like you can still be decent. Um, and then one character is just like, however, I'm choosing to be a bitter asshole. Yes. Michael is like, Mm. Hmm, what if my vibes were rancid? (laughs) How would that play? (laughs) Does the friend group uh like that? It's like, Mm -hmm. because that's the thing is like, he thinks he, believes that he is so burdened with being gay and like he you know he feels the weight of like being a, a gay man and Harold calls him out for it I mean he has this great monologue that I wrote down the whole quote for I won't say here because it goes on for a bit but basically he calls him out and is like you're sad and pathetic you're gay you don't want to be gay but like you will always be gay until like the day you die and Michael mm. can't like subconsciously is constantly rejecting this fact and so instead of just talking with his friends and like enjoying this birthday in a normal chill way he decides okay let me make the bad choice and lash out at everybody and make everyone confront their own deep insecurities that i myself am feeling because i can't Mm. deal with this shit on my own and i can't stand to be called out so i'm now gonna make it everybody's problem everyone has to do my shit except for mine yeah 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 can't relate (laughs) <laughs> can't relate i make everything everyone else's problem mm, from. That's why have a podcast. but i but i include myself you know I'm, yeah. I'm giving like that i'm really glad in my life though that i've never been to a party like this that <sighs> it's never happened in this way like you know we've been to like a gay party but never where i had to like call a long-term yearn that i had to confess <laughs> to my love for example you know like don't think that i would then ever want to do lives, that jordan you know, that's so true. Life, what a laugh riot, you know? Ha-ha. Just spend a weekend in Fire Island, and before the second day is over, you'll be there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, look, I didn't want to bring it up, but, like, when you said P-Town, we I'm from Massachusetts, Cape Cod specifically, ah. so I'm like, oh, hello, where did you live? <laughs> oh, so I, I lived in P-Town for summers of 2015 and 2016, um, and I worked at uh, a bed and breakfast. I worked at the Watership Inn. Shout out to the Watership Inn. The staff, so cute. people. Um, and the second summer I worked there and I worked at the movie theater Water's Edge. Yeah, yeah, um, and yeah. And from there I, I moved to New York. But um, being being in Provincetown was the first 
um, experience that I had really diving into a gay or queer cultural culture and environment because I yeah. grew up in Connecticut and um, you need it, Connecticut doesn't have public transit. So you need a car to get everywhere. And I don't drive, not because I'm Asian, but because I'm gay. Um, and um, so I had most of my, when I finally come out, most of my um, understanding of queer culture was mediated through books and movies and documentaries and TV shows. And like the one, the few times that I'd go to like a gay night at like a bar that was near my college um, and the GSA, but it wasn't like adult um, mature, uh, not to say that it is one thing, gay culture is not a monolith, um, but like it wasn't, uh, I didn't have um, access to sort of the many variants that it could, ta- yes. uh, that it could m- take. Um, and so being in P10 was the first time that I was like really diving into it. And I had grown up going to P10 with my parents. Um, my, my mother and my father used to take me when I was younger, um, but going to P-Town and living there um, as an adult was the first time that I'd returned since I had come out. So it was like really, it was really interesting and very formative and mm. um, special and useful and complicated experience that really taught me how to be the kind of queer person that I wanted to be, the different versions of queerness that could exist that I may not necessarily have wanted to um, sort of engage with at that point or maybe would engage with later in life. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, even even when I was 21, 22 in P-Town, I was definitely like cognizant of the archetypes that I had seen in mm-hmm. things like the boys in the band sort of prancing about. Sorry, that sounds homophobic. And that was intentional. I am <laughs> a homophobic gay person. Um, but the different archetypes. Trust no one, not on even yourself. The, movie, yeah. the, the, the behaviors that um, are sometimes productive and sometimes not productive. Um, I I definitely had like a front row seat to that. Yes. Totally. Um, I relate to you so hard as a New Englander who grew up in New Hampshire, a state with zero public transportation. I also don't drive, not because I'm gay, but because I'm a woman. Um, (laughs) Nice. And it's, it's very difficult when you're trying to dive into a subset of culture that's not readily available to you, how much just fucking research you have to do to even figure out what you should be watching in the first mm-hmm. place. I mean, we both went to film school and I don't think a, we went to, you know, a very gay film school yeah. by film school standards. We went to Emerson in Boston. Ah, um, mm. I, one of my close friends went to Emerson. Good old Emerson. Of course, the mafia. Um, <laughs> and they, they really did not do much in the way of being like, this is a inclusive history of cinema. No. And this is not just speaking to like LGBTQ rights. Like we, we had a we had a very all. we had a very straight, very white yeah. history of film canon. And even when you're like coming from this place of quote unquote knowledge, it's still like there's still so much essential queer cinema that yeah. I have never even touched that I want to and mm. I'm sort of aware of. Yeah. But um, I don't know. It's a lot. It's a lot of heavy lifting. Yeah. Um, shout out to P-Town, though. That's where my fiance and I are going for our honeymoon. Um, uh, uh, <laughs> leaving uh, so two gays, leaving gay? our really straight wedding to go be gay on vacation. Um, I feel like we both are just going to have to be wearing like we are by pins <laughs> the entire time. Uh-huh. I would like uh-huh. to say, though, that I uh, do drive and I'm gay. So 
I would just, you know, my humble brag for the pod. And yeah. Jordan doesn't drink iced coffee. So it's, that is, uh, it's, it's a crazy. real it's zero so for two me. situation. I know. Wow. I used to believe that there was no wrong way to be gay, but then I was on this podcast. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> kidding. There is no wrong way. So true. So true. sending people back into the closet left and right. I mean, I, yes. I do um, want to, I do want to rewind though to something that you said. And we were talking about sort of like, the gay you had mentioned like gay stereotypes and sort of like these performances and what you think especially like uh when you think of like gay people within like media and art and like what people assume gay people are and i think that this movie is sort of something that has a lot of these performances that do feel pulled from that like there are kind of bigger specifically like emery i think is like the biggest example of this where emery when you think of like a quote-unquote like gay person and to be reductive he's flamboyant effeminate you know and he has sort of the check mark and all the characters then do kind of pile on him specifically when alan who is this you know representation of heterosexuality within the movie comes in immediately singles out emery because emery's unable to kind of hide himself within this, you know, straight passing performance. It was interesting watching this movie and how the stereotypes both aged and how we felt about them because we kind of touched upon this with The Birdcage where obviously that movie is a farce and is dealing with big, broad performances and stereotypes, but it works within the confines of that movie because the whole movie is supposed to be built and is predicated upon, you know, this Republican family not recognizing these things and these people kind of burying it. Um, and with this movie, I didn't necessarily find the stereotypes grating or any or frustrating. It was just sort of, I think I took it in stride with the movie being from this time. I also, but, I, yeah. I think that I like the character of Emery as bumped up against the character of Alan because it's mm-hmm. the... Like, you know, in sort of writing terms, it's the fastest and most efficient way to get to the thing that has to happen, which is a homophobic confrontation. And I also think that Emery, you know, potentially grading, though he may be, to the rest of the friend group, like, you kind of need him because he serves as, like, a reflection of a lot of these men's internal yeah loathing of 100%. like you are the thing yeah, that absolutely. we're not meant to be um and mm. here you are being it but i like that he also yeah. sucks no nobody is basically walking away from this story unscathed which is one yeah. of my like i that's very rare i think especially right now you need now you need your moral yeah. center of the film um and any moral center this film has is shaky at best Mm -hmm. and and Mm -hmm. i like that because rarely do you ever walk away from an argument with your friends feeling like well that person was definitely in the right no everyone has a little slice of what they did well and a little slice of where they were shitty and and one person is like oh maybe i was the shittiest yeah maybe like (laughs) Uh this was one person's fault but everyone shares a little bit of the blame and and you're left with the decision if you're gonna hang out again like what's are we gonna just sweep this under the rug the next time we're together and that's that's friendship right yeah Uh there are definitely there are gradations of accountability or or that people do or do not take and um I I don't mind Emery because what's I, I think another complicated aspect of, of thinking about um this film or text or whatever is that um even though 
the dialogue is really stage bound. Yeah. I think it is still it, it's sort of um, straddling this line between like a uh, a realism and a theatricality. Um, and I think it does it well, such that like these are people that I recognize. Um, mm-hmm, even totally. be- I think even before I necessarily came out, these were like people that I knew existed. And Emery is not like if I, I maybe out of context, his, his performance reads like maybe um dated or like um not as sensitive, so to speak. But there are I there are Emery's like there are definitely yeah. people yes. who are extremely femme or um, extremely sure. queeny and like annoying and so obnoxious and that is their right. It's uh, gay rights means being um, femme and annoying. Gay rights uh, sometimes they're means not necess- gay wrongs. <laughs> right, right, and and the thing is that like Emery isn't necessarily annoying because he's femme. He's annoying because he's relentless. Yes, exactly. Yes, it's he doesn't know like the the social cues are not picked up well by many of the characters yeah. within this movie, but especially by yeah. Emery. There's like yeah. very fun versions of this archetype. Recently, Matt Rogers and Fire Island comes to mind. Like, Mateo. 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 Thank you. Sorry, might be. Mm-hmm. Um, like so much fun and clearly like authentic and Emery like the character of Emery again to your point feels very very authentic um he just again every everyone has their own interpersonal issues that have nothing to do with being gay and it Mm -hmm. like I think that it is so tricky to be a queer person in a country or a specific like slice of a country or a time period or what have you that like is diametrically opposed to who you are. Mm. You can't, mm-hmm. there's no way that that's just not going to affect you. Mm-hmm. This movie has it in the form of like, obviously like they know that, but I think how do you live so with it good? Yeah. is the question. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How do you live with it? How does it shape um, the way that you move through the world? How does it shape the decisions that you make both for yourself and um, with other people involved in those decisions? How do you yeah. treat other people? Totally. And I think like within the confines of the movie, I think Alan is so intrinsic and important to it because he is acting as like the physical nature of the closet and is coming to basically shame the characters or rather like heterosexuality and culture at large and is coming to shame Mm -hmm. the characters back into the closet by having to hide who they are. And then within the safe space that they've built for each other and for themselves, Mm -hmm. they immediately start to recognize what it feels like to be back in the closet and like to have to sit with those thoughts and that performance and like how that can wear Mm -hmm. on you is where Mm -hmm. obviously where act two kind of kicks into gear is because then you start the fun of the play is immediately gone by then and everything is just serious and just gets so deeply depressing. Yeah. Right. The artificiality of like the performance that they have been crafting for the world at large and also for each other begins to fall apart. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I, I also like Alan is such this, sort of specter of doom and gloom encroaching on the party. And yes, it's partially because he fucking sucks and all of their worst assumptions about him are right. But also this idea that knowing someone who's walking in that line between like, are you with me or Mm. are you against me? And will I ever really know is extremely stressful and 
uh, impossible to take your mind off of. And I love that it's unresolved whether Alan is potentially, or I should say potentially he, yeah. has homosexual proclivities. Sure. We'll never know. You know, he goes <laughs> you back go to, to New his York wife. And you call him really? Yeah. What are we doing but then here? You call him to talk about your wife? Come Get on. Get out of here. Get out of here. Um, but the idea that he leaves, we don't know. And that Michael doesn't know. And we'll never know. The world keeps spinning. Yeah. And again, that's like another thing that you're just, you wake up tomorrow and you're like, well, I'm not fucking dealing with that. Yeah. And it's like what so many queer people have to experience going home. You know what I mean? Like so many times, like you go home back to your family, if your family is like not necessarily okay with it, or maybe they're fine with you being gay, but you have to tone down the way in which you are gay or whatever have you is like, there isn't even nowadays, like you do have to modulate at times queerness and like the way in which queerness works within the confines of your life and that's like obviously a difficult thing to do and i think that this movie kind of taps into that and also taps into like a lot of queer relationships at large like i was not expecting the kind of poly you know or at least like open relationship subset um yeah mm-hmm. because like mm-hmm. that was something that i was super fascinated by because i thought it was just going to be specifically like oh it's all about like these gay men and being gay but not like necessarily i thought it would be a little bit more broad within the confines of like what does it mean to be gay but it digs into mm-hmm. like the relationship aspects of this and, and like bisexuality mm-hmm. totally like way, wanting to nice. have a straight mm-hmm. relationship or, or sorry like a bi relationship wanted to have a you know monogamous just me and you that's it baby mm-hmm. versus like no mm-hmm. i i can't give you that necessarily like i might need to go fuck someone else and like how does mm-hmm. that tear at these two people it again as you said in the beginning thorny and interesting because for 1970 like obviously these were conversations that queer people were having this isn't like something that's like breaking ground for the first time but for it to be in a movie like this released to the general american mm. public was big and important you know mm. I mean, even um, upon the original production of the play, I think um, it is infrequent that you see work that um, is willing to, as we were saying earlier, go there as far as the complications that desire and um, yearning and um, the obligations that we have to one another as people how that gets um complicated and problematized by um by those very like you know mercurial experiences of what it is to want something or want someone yeah yeah and the the play was not thought to like it was not plat it was not presented to potentially be a success who was only supposed to play for five performances was a huge runaway hit ended up playing in london as well apparently like was very well attended by famous people among them uh jackie kennedy Slay. marlene dietrich yes queen mm-hmm. we knew we, we know why you were marlene there dietrich. Yeah, yes yeah, yeah. groucho marx the new <laughs> mayor of new york john Lindsay. like yeah but there this was a cultural conversation and the film itself besides uh one of my favorite trivia facts that it's thought to be the first mainstream american film to use the word cunt um sleigh boots to that um it is like <laughs> it's can it's like considered the a preeminent sort of like early motion picture to revolve around homosexuals yeah um mm-hmm. gay men yes yeah. so it definitely certainly made a cultural splash totally um 
Yeah, I don't know. It. I think that like what we were talking about with the degrees of closeting mm. that still go on, it certainly is nowhere. It doesn't invoke nearly the same intensity of emotion, but I do, I think like it, it ignites a particular like prickliness for you specifically. There are certain degrees of closeting that I have to do depending on who I'm around. I know you can relate for sure. Jordan. I, I am sure that we all can relate. And like, it does sort of invoke, it, it irks me. Um, and it irks me in a very particular way. And I don't know that I had a necessarily voice for that until I watched this movie. And I was specifically like, yeah, the sort of like itchy crawling sensation that mm-hmm. I'm getting watching this. That's that's the feeling. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's it's very much um, an interesting film about like what it means to like have to code switch in a place that where you didn't <laughs> yeah. think you would have to. Where you're supposed to be yeah. safe. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that feel when a safe space becomes unsafe, but Not also safe. the vibes are so bad in the yeah. safe space anyway. You might as well just <laughs> throw the whole space yeah. away. I don't recommend that you visit Hell's Kitchen if you didn't care for those vibes. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, I feel like what was fascinating too, if we're just like looking at all of the the boys in this you know band and their relationship is within the confines of like queerness and like the social hierarchy and the way in which like economic wealth plays into it as well. I think like when Cowboy Tex gets introduced and how Cowboy Tex is gay, but within the confines of their, you know, hierarchy, Cowboy Tex is the lowest rung of being gay and how Uh all of them just berate and just cast him aside, do not give a fuck. He's just becomes an object to them. Oh, yeah. And they don't give a fuck. And it's so interesting watching like how that plays on Cowboy Tex and like within the confines of everything within the space. It's very depressing. I would argue that the intense apathy that they spew at him is actually a, an insecurity because he is mm. the sex worker. Like they both mm-hmm. disregard yeah. it, it's it's the way that I think a lot of people think about sex workers regardless of gender, but I think it, it may totally. be especially bad towards um sex workers who work with men and um trans sex workers and that they are both exalted upon something that is extremely desirable like the having someone who is just your doll to play with or just something that you can use but it also completely disregard as a person mm-hmm. um right. uh, and only see as commodity totally yeah no, yes and the fact that he is invited into the circle but with sort of a knowing wink of like we'll indulge you and we will have our sort of fun with you but you're not part of this right like harold will take Mm -hmm. you and you'll be harold's little you know fairy for the day or (laughs) you know whatever they say yeah um Mm -hmm. and i love um that by the time harold arrives you're kind of desperate for someone to do something mostly to stop michael's tirade um and that Harold shows up and he's like, I'm not here to fix this. This is my fucking birthday party. Yeah. And kind of love Harold when, when he oh, comes in. he's an Iconic. icon. Yeah. But again, I love that he is not a deus ex machina. Yeah. He is mm. just as messy as everyone else, but he's mm-hmm. more at peace with it. And yes. that ends up being like the linchpin. But you're not having him come in and be like, yes, this is how gay people should be. Right. Because he comes in and he tells Michael, he's like, Michael, I see you and you're at your game. I also play this game. You can't like fool me for what you're doing. Like I too play this game. Yes. But I'm not better than you. Right. 
Michael is Dorinda, and um, Harold is is um, Bethany. Mm. For those of who watch The Real Housewives, not me, not me either. But I feel okay. you. So true for that. But I guarantee there are there's someone there's someone right for for someone someone out there who watches The Real Housewives. Let me know what you think of my Roni comparison. Real Housewives, Ice Coffee, Charlie XCX. I know. Okay, right? whoa, 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 whoa. that episode free. for you. The, the Charlie XCX, I will not take that slander or the Lady Gaga. I just did not come up with a better bit. But Charlie and Lady Gaga are, <laughs> are too intrinsic to my personality. I cannot have those revoked on Mike. But okay, to bring okay. it back to, to bring it back to Harold. I'm sorry for piling on you. No, no, no. no this is okay. this I mean, is good. I could bring up the fact that Jordan is also a Boston sports fan, but I won't because I'm a nice person. It's fine. Oh my uh, god. Okay. <laughs> it's fine. I'm okay. I'm doing well mentally and emotionally. I'm so good. But you're confident in your status as a queer person, unlike some of these bitches. To bring it back to Michael, because I just or not Michael, Harold. I just think Harold is such a fun, fascinating character because one, he's grappling with like the insecurity of being old and feeling ugly, which like of course like who among, who us? among us cannot relate to that. But he has just the line where he's like what am I, Michael? I'm a uh, 32-year-old ugly pockmarked Jew fairy, and it takes me a little to pull myself together. And if I smoke a little grass before I get up the nerve to show my face in the, uh, to the world, it's nobody's goddamn business but my own. And then he just says, and how are you this evening? It's just <laughs> so great. Like every, He gets mm-hmm. these monologues and just like he goes on these little diatribes that are so good and well-written. Mm-hmm. And I think like with, obviously it's a very tight, play and script but and full of so many good insults like the you've been rumming a snowman but mm-hmm. I, for harold himself there is just something about his character that just feels so specific and i would just be curious what whether he was based off someone that he knew or if it like in what way and shape or form you know while writing this crawley was like this character is this person and where if he's mm-hmm. putting himself in as like a michael or is he putting himself in as someone but yeah i, we will, I don't um, know if we'll know i'm also curious and, and not sure as to um, what elements he uh crawley is sort of projecting himself into or onto um but i think um harold's character is interesting in the way that it um it complicates the show's relationship with race and it's not right it's really not great and the revival Mm -hmm. production tried to fix some of those things to varying degrees of success but the fact that like he identifies harold as jewish um means that like at least there is this um internal awareness that Jewishness and gayness have distinctive relationships to this person with regards to how they conceive of their own their identity that is not the same of uh, the way that like Michael does. Michael's I think pretty clearly a wasp. Yeah. And yes, he's is in, not and yeah. is, is he's so sort of like tunnel vision about his his own place in the world and the way that he, um that he's perceived he's not too, necessarily connecting the fact that there are other people even in his friend group um who have to deal with like another 
you know, dynamic or component of of marginality. Yeah. And Harold calls him out in that, like, you are a homosexual and you don't want to be homosexual and says, like, no matter how much you pray to your God, that's not going to change this idea that, like, your waspy background. And I think he's like identified as Catholic at some point is not helpful. You think that this might save you. It's not going to. Um, mm-hmm. You know, this this whole idea that, like, the more real you are with yourself, the easier it is to get up in the morning. But then at the same time, Harold, uh, like, walking that back by saying, it's really difficult for me to get up and get out of the house. But I can accept the fact that it's difficult and you can't. Yeah. Um, you can mm-hmm. either look this thing in the face um, or you can't. You can, <laughs> you can stare directly at the sun or in the mirror. I think uh, mm-hmm. if we're talking about race, Michael is for sure the one who walks out the most scathed because he does this whole performance where he's very racist and it is extremely uncomfortable watching. Um, yeah. That's all. I guess I, I don't know what else to say, but Michael just if in his, you know, acidic, everybody should fucking hate me nature decides to just adopt a voice and it's it's you know, bad it's just real bad i'll just say <laughs> you know so i guess it's terms- a black scent it's it's yeah. not great and it's also um i i think that um there's some sort of like dialectic going as far as like he is adopting a level of blackness while also like he is this unresolved fantasy crush on donald who is the sort of being purported as the hottest person in that group and and next to alan like mm-hmm. an idealization of like white masculinity right. yes the specific like this idea of like a man's man part of michael's like horrible insults to emory or like who would ever want to be with you you're not a man yeah he has the whole exactly. thing there where he's like nobody would want to be you except a fugitive from the braille institute which is so fucking rude and I mean, awful to say a, uh, like a read but jesus <laughs> but also like Christ. god yeah uh but this idea that yeah that you're actively like rejecting stereotypical aspects of homosexuality and your attraction to yeah. masculine men the right. mailmen. Um, and mm. I think that like the people that probably walk out looking the best are Donald's is, is probably Donald. He's, he's relatively supportive, but we can question whether he's an enabler <laughs> or he not. He's milk toast. Yeah. Let's just say he's milk toast. There's nothing, he's nothing going on in that noggin. A potted plant. Um, he's, he's so pretty, but so, so, so dumb. Yes, he's played like by. Da- he... Go ahead. Go I was just gonna say played by Matt Bomer in the 2020 version, which is oh. perfect. Yes, yes. Um, I think like uh, there's the um, the there's text, and um, even though he also sort of functions as a himbo, but he does he kind of takes more of a stand than Donald. Donald's like sort of level of apoliticality or. It, inability is to make any decision is is that it yeah. is is that flaw he's just sort of the blank slate that everyone wants to be where he hasn't he doesn't express any problems yeah right. yeah i think that the people who probably have the best relationship even though they're working through monogamy and also potential heterosexuality or bisexuality are hank and larry there's that sort of there's a famous 
scene left on the cutting room floor of them kissing passionately because there's uh, there's no kissing in this film um that Friedkin shot cut thinking it was like over sensational and then apparently later regretted and wished mm-hmm. that he had left it in um mm-hmm. I don't think it's necessarily needed like I don't think that it changes their relationship but it is interesting I mean that's like that's a, like a classic QQ thing to discuss is like oh there's this one type of queerness that is palatable then there's something else that is like not as palatable and even if you're looking at like a very queer film you sometimes get stuff that's left on the cutting right. room floor and like the thing that might make mm-hmm. it even though this is not not explicit having like a an explicit gay type kiss of explicit. brings it to another level i think versus just being able to be like all of these men are gay all of these men are insulting each other and i think that's just on a purely if we're stepping back looking at like american audiences and what they're comfortable right, right. with and their comfort level with like gay men and queerness at large especially in like 1970 right. it's the difference between like sex as theory and sex as action yes exactly. yes that's a perfect way to put it remember when rocket man cut out all their like queer sex scenes mm-hmm. for airplanes yeah. and i like... barely remember rocket man as a movie <laughs> that's a that's, that's a, a br- movie that we dig for defend Better Perhaps than Bohemian Rhapsody. Well, because well, we also did the have bar Bohemian is Rhapsody, in hell Rocket Man double Bohemian feature, Rhapsody. you know. So. I defend Rocket Man. I wish that the first thirty minutes didn't exist, but other than that, I think it is a pretty little Elton great John, time. Um, aka Kit Connor, I think from Heartstopper, which is wild because I feel like he was so young and so now he's small, like yeah. a teenager. Cry- crazy how time aging happens. Insane. How very Harold of us. You uh, know? <laughs> It'd be like that. Kyle, I'm very curious to know your thoughts on the 2020 remake since yeah. we uh, planted the seed and now we have to. Yes. Uh, lo- and, and love to let that seed bloom, mm. um, as Toy Savant once said. Um, and um, so I honestly feel that the Joe Mantello 2020 Boys in the Band is like more watchable because mm-hmm. those performances are a little bit more refined for the camera because I find like I I admire and I like um the original film version a lot but it's like really loud it's yes. so loud everyone is everyone's sort of like d- uh delivering between a six and eleven and it's just like this is not as much fun to watch on they're acting viewing. to back to back of house yeah. when I think yeah, it, yeah, it, it acting is to back the of house in a way that thing. I don't think is yeah which um, although it can add um, sort of a veneer of like the self-aware performative aspect of like the performativity of gayness, so to mm-hmm. speak, um, it, just like experientially, I don't love it for two two and a half hours. Yeah. Whereas the um, twenty twenty version is like you get a little, you get a, a bit more um, malleability in the performances, a little bit more um, uh, gradation. Um, or shading in a lot of mm-hmm. the performances, but it's with the caveat of like, why does this thing exist? Because it's the basically the exact same thing as the 1970 version, um, and the only way that like you can really sort of reconcile with it is that it is uh, when the original, um, or at least when the revival was staged for the 50th anniversary, it was like very clearly a way to use it as a as a barometer against which like contemporary gay male culture existed like mm-hmm. it's either 
functions as a way to look back at how far we, we being like a very select group of people have, ha, have come, how far the, we have come since 1968, 1970, as sure. far as the progress that has been made socially and politically, et cetera, et cetera. Or look how far, or look how we are still in this like arrested development of self-loathing and self-hatred and being cruel to all of our friends and existing in, in um, social spaces that indulge and encourage and incentivize um, drugs and partying and drinking and yada, yada, yada. And I just like, I feel um, somewhat ambivalent and maybe icky about how that version of the show is basically just like a thing to compare oneself to or like the proximity yeah. one has to that group or to um, groups that are themselves in relation to the group that's in the show. And I, I it's just like, I, I don't need that. I am, um, I think there are, uh, hopefully are enough examples and, and continue to be uh, examples that get made of like queer friend groups that are complicated, but not necessarily rooted in a level of like um, self-destruction yeah. in the way that these characters are. And I think like, obviously the, the I get the other complicated thing is like, I don't think um, the contemporary queer media landscape likes things that are as like cynical or vicious or acidic as the boys in the band is and i really admire that that and i'm glad that that kind of um text um that kind of show does exist yeah. um but i i feel that like the, um the other versions that examine the complex the the myriad and diverse ways in which queerness can be embodied both positive and negative um I hope that more of those things exist, but I get this feeling that like people don't, people have this, um, I'm rambling, please stop me. No, 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 this well, is really interesting. interesting. People, have an aver people have an aversion to things where the, the, where self-loathing is part of a queer experience. And I think yes. it is, I think, I think it is important to acknowledge that it is part of many people's experience. Um, and not just in like, where the movie is 90 minutes of someone almost going to come out, almost going to come out, but like actual people living their lives, dealing with the fact yes. that maybe they aren't the kind of gay or queer person that they think they should be or want to be, or they're yeah. or the kind of gay or queer person that their friends are, et cetera, et cetera. I think it's a very valuable artifact for that. What I think is frustrating is that um, there are different, there are different ways of expressing that now and yes. just reviving something that was made in 1968 does not speak to the different um cultural and social and political forces that are now shaping how that experience of self-loathing is then um sort of wrestled with if any right. more yeah. and how no, it's yes. how it's changed with like modern society because yeah. i think something that can be difficult about revivals that are in this particular way being like the original was present day we're now setting the revival as a period piece or the remake or what have you is that it ultimately even if that's not the intention can feel a little bit like a pat on the back unless there's really mm -hmm. like a new way to mm -hmm. reckon with the material yeah. i think it can right, be right. more i think it can be be more useful in 
the theater than it is as like a piece of cinema, mostly because mm-hmm. I think of like the cost and sort of like the bottom line that's more associated with cinema than with other arts like theater. But I, I am sure this wasn't the intention, but like the 2020 version definitely feels like, and aren't things much better now? Mm. Yes. Yeah. 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 Uh-huh. It's either aren't things much better now or look how the these gays in West Hollywood or or um, Hell's Kitchen are just repeating history. And I'm like, well, I think it's more complicated than that. Because it's like so much more has changed. Yeah. And even though even if those even if there are feelings that are um, very similar or ghosts of those same feelings, I think enough uh, around those things has evolved that that those forces deserve to also be um, depicted or dramatized um, in an interesting way. And like you said earlier, um, and something that we often invoke, queer culture is not a monolith, and there's always room for like the queer joy and the queer self-loathing. Mm-hmm. And like mm-hmm. alongside the depiction does not equal endorsement thing, it's yeah. also like let's not pretend that the only way that seeing yourself can be cathartic is through positivity. Right. I find it right. really cathartic to see like a particular type of you know, sort of queer self-loathing and yeah. wrestling and mm-hmm. it, it helps, it, it, it can help. And yes. it, it can yeah. f- also feel like, it, you know, art is an artistic expression. If that's what you want to grapple oh, with, right. there there should not be limits on being able to grapple with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's just a matter of finding new ways of expressing that. As and reflecting. Going back to the same yeah. thing over and over again. Yes. Right. Yeah. There, there is, you know, I think this is like the, both like the business side of Hollywood and theater at large is also sort of like a part of that in the ways in which like things get rebooted, recycled, remade, mm-hmm. revived. It's kind of like the cycle where which like because something was successful and it's a name, people think that like we can kind of bring that back and tell the same story, but for mm-hmm. like a new audience without, as we've already said, like grappling with the change that has happened or like making yeah. something new where like mm-hmm. the boys in the band, when it came out in 1970 was something fresh and new and was saying, was about right talking about this now. self-wallowing this, you know, yeah. the self-laceration, but also dealing with like this friendships and like the ways in which these mm-hmm. things play. And like, rather than maybe rebooting it, like think about like a way is like, what would be like the new version of this story? How could we tell that? Like, I guess like there is ways in which you can bring something back and revive it and tell you know, but it's pretty rare. Updated, but it's so hard for that to actually be done. And well. it's like mm-hmm. we were—I mean, we said it at the beginning of the episode. Like, it's not like all, we've solved all issues that come to right. fruition in queer friend groups. Let's talk about what that looks like and how many more, how much more nuance there is to like the conversation. Yeah. And um, I think it like also is fascinating that it comes from like I guess I wish I had seen the stage play, but it is fascinating coming from netflix and the ryan murphy camp because that is also something then to like read on to that because if you just think about like ryan murphy at large like ryan murphy has his own little band and that movie is full of all of the boys in ryan murphy's little band you know oh yes it is i i'm obsessed with ryan murphy um i think he's such a fascinating figure yes he has so much money and so much power and he is used Mm -hmm. as the barometer against which I think Hollywood sort of measures its own sense of progressive politics. Like, say, like his, I don't, much of what he makes, I do not think is very good, but I think it is like very interesting and culturally valuable, but like we would not have the, I, I'm 
of the opinion that we would not have things like boys and I've, I've, sorry i'm of the opinion that we would not have things like orange is the new black and euphoria or whatever were it not for glee oh yeah no i've watched glee. i have watched the entirety of glee i did write yes. a self-thousand essay about it um you're talking and, to yes. two gleeks so yes. you're in a safe and one, oh my god one an og you? one an og, an OG gleek. Gleek. one i don't oh, oh, oh. And my uh, my my gleekdom is more recent, and I hesitate to call it gleekdom. Because... I would say it's gleekdom. Uh, I, I I not only am I an OG gleek, I watched the Glee pilot when it premiered in May sweeps week two thousand nine, and then was available as a free download on iTunes. <laughs> Damn. Wow, incredible! And then I quit midway through season three because it got bad, and then I yeah. returned yeah. because I accidentally ate half of an edible. Um, when I didn't do weed at, in 2018 and then got incapacitatedly high and started rewatching Glee from the beginning and thought, yes, this is a good idea. I want to see what happens because I never finished it. Yeah. So I'll just like get really stoned. And you can't come back from watching Will Schuster rap Kanye West while really, really stoned. Yeah. The most deranged show maybe ever put on the air. I was stone cold sober for Will Schuster's rendition of the Thong song. And I regret that every day because that image is now burned Will directly Schuster into my brain. Should burn in hell? Jail. Jail. Forever? Yeah. <gasps> um, mm-hmm. What were you going to ask? Uh, oh, I don't even remember. Something I, Glee about Glee. got brought oh, up sorry. in my... No, no, no. Glee got brought up in my brain. Went, ooh, Glee. Ooh, and just Glee. went on a, a little tangent. Glee seasons I, one and two. I will say, as uh, much as sometimes I find Ryan Murphy's casting very questionable, and of course, like he is not solely responsible for the casting of the 2020 film because it was the Broadway revival, um, I think... Jim Parsons and Zachary Quinto as Michael and Harold are pretty god tier level casting, especially for what the revival was trying to do, which is be a very direct revival. Like they are so, so evocative of Kenneth Nelson and Leonard Fry. The looks of them, of the two men, I think it's so indicative of like how we as a culture have changed of who stars in our movies and like actors faces Mm -hmm. because you look at the 1970s movies and like there are some cuties obviously like don't get me wrong but like everyone kind of has just like a character actor face but then you look at the boys in the band 2020 and everyone's just really hot not helped by sort of like shiny smooth white boy exactly it's like everyone has been through the photoshop filter and everyone has like this chiseled look and you just look at the difference and you can just see how we as like a film society have changed of who we put in our movies and like and as a gay society as well these totally these boys in the band go to equinox yeah yes these boys in the band live in weho <laughs> it, uh-huh. it it is definitely not giving new york yeah in the same yeah, way. yeah. I, I mean the other thing that i find somewhat frustrating about the remake is that um besides its desire to be interpreted or used as some sort of like um you know temporal signature or whatever um it ultimately doesn't have that much perspective about the material Mm. and that's like the problem like it doesn't have a point of view although jim parsons is really good in it but it's just like it is it is just redoing the show without um more of a specific angle or or take on it yeah um and i am of the opinion that like if you're going to revive something you you have to like make a better justification for why you're doing it other than like it's so different from when we originally put it on let's look at what society is like now but not in a meaningful way just you as the audience like sitting there and going like hmm yes interesting it's Mm -hmm. i feel the same about most 
quote unquote rebooted material where I think that the take really needs to be much deeper than a combination of reckoning with the sins of your past property and a nostalgia cash grab. Like Mm -hmm. those are the two in large part like things to do. Oh, we're making an updated version. We're making it better, more inclusive. Or also, hey, remember this thing you loved? Here it is. Again, it, um... It's very, very frustrating. But I think that, like, of all the properties to, you know, revive, again, revivals are super common in theater. I do think, like, if this, if the if the 2020 version raised um, some knowledge about the original and, like, drove people towards this period of history and this, like, piece of work, this, <laughs> this text, um, that's... That is worth like something. Enough, you know, yeah. Something. I mean, I think that like that is honestly how I became familiar with mm. uh, the original Boys in the Band because as previously mentioned, I was doing a lot of my own research on queer cinema, which I am not very good at, nor have the time to properly deep dive yeah. as much as I would like to. So a lot of these things I like hear about, I think, like, which is insane to think about the first time I heard about like Tu Wong Fu, Thanks for Everything, Julie Neymar. I was, I don't know, I was like three years ago, mm. two years ago. And it's just like, it's these things tend to get swallowed up by overwhelming popular culture and pop back up in pockets, even if they were really significant. Like sure. the boys in the band is really significant, was significant at the time, is still significant. You, there are tons of people who are going to go their whole lives having no idea that this is uh, something that exists. Yeah. No, yeah. I mean, it's like you think about like what's taught, it's just to bring it back to like film school, it's like you think about what's taught and obviously there is like the cultural films that you want to touch on, like the big ones, but like the fact that there isn't or like wasn't the option to have something like this being taught anywhere is like a little bit frustrating given as like its cultural significance and or like having it even like mentioned somewhere I think is a little frustrating especially when you read about like the disillusion of the production code like this does play a lot like an interesting part within that context within like early 70s late 60s cinema there was a a Mm. crazy quote about the original play from uh Peter Philichia from Theater Mania that compared um, straight audiences reaction to this to white audiences reaction to A Raisin in the Sun which is kind of wild um i know yeah let's just take a moment for that but well, we it, didn't expect theater mania to be the most racially up-to-date no we <laughs> did not um it's like that in that it changed the outlook of straight audiences who went to see this play where they were like wow gay people, gay people? do have feelings they're normal um but yes, not I, to I, me, they don't, and they never will. I very much agree, though, with your assessment, Jordan. But luckily, that's why we have the queer film guide mm. in our lives, and I'm so just going to start planting it in small town free libraries everywhere, and let homosexuality sweep the nation, um, and the water will turn the frogs gay, and we'll all descend into anarchism, and it'll, it'll be it'll be a good time. It sounds beautiful. Yeah, it sounds um, like my America. Finally. <laughs> <laughs> this is the liberals america the gay this agenda the want or whatever yeah, yeah. yeah. it's yeah. the gay agenda the woke um, mob is coming for us <laughs> yeah yeah i agree that it's a a severe problem that like queer cinema and other forms of, of cinema from marginalized communities are not part of uh the 
courses or the canon and um, that is taught in film school. I think that is obviously a big problem. However, I think that um, we now have the tools and the apparatuses to um, investigate ourselves. And I have very little um, hope or expectation for a lot of these big platforms like Netflix or Hulu to be encouraging their consumers to think about the like a bigger cultural heritage of cinema just generally speaking like most of these platforms don't have movies made before 1990 never mind 1980 um and so so like when i was like i hate to get on my soapbox i'm not blaming either of you for uh, for the record at all but like there in my experience of talking to other people especially people younger than myself um and this is where i get really crotchety there <laughs> is an assumption that the that if something isn't like on a netflix homepage, it like doesn't exist i think that's changing a little bit with um the growing popularity of a of a app slash website like letterbox where you can yeah. sort of yeah find all the things that your friends are watching and whatnot but like one of the joys of of knowing that you're different and knowing that other people are different like you and have created art and culture out of that difference and that that difference it fuels a sense of aesthetic and formal energy is seeking that stuff out and finding that and and um scouring the internet and all the torrent sites and all your libraries and criterion channel and everything like that and finding and discovering those things um both on your own and with the aid of the of your community around you and lists and books and whatnot and i i'm sort of hoping that the um precarious state that like the streaming industry is in currently is incentivizing queer people who are interested in movies um, and interested in representation and its various forms um, that they that those platforms with their like fake idea of democratized media will finally like look towards other platforms for the kinds of representation that they're looking for or like the prototypes of the kind of representation that they're looking for. Right. And realize that it's what you make it. I think we as a culture, it's like also like a need for curiosity Mm -hmm. and like the want to like go out there and expand your horizons and fucking see what's out there and see all of the art that does exist. Art in like all forms, whether that be movies, books, shows, plays, whatever fucking have you. And I think that one of the best parts of coming out and being becoming a part of like the queer community is being able to then discover and push yourself to find things that connect to you on such a deep intrinsic level. Like I think like Mm -hmm. one of the best parts about like both the podcast and just in general of like since coming out has been like finding something and being like, Oh my God, like I have been searching for this my whole life. I wish I had had this earlier, but like now Mm -hmm. that I have come out, I can find this thing. Oh, and like this filmmaker worked with this person and that leads me to this thing. Or like I found this thing that's tapping into it. Let me like read about it and then I'll find a different movie that like has a thematic like similarity to it or is like touching on something or you then dig Mm -hmm. into like a filmmaker at large like 
I the only reason I or not only reason but like growing up I knew a lot about John Waters because my I had two like lesbian aunts and so in their kitchen they had fucking so much divine shit and when I was like four I'm like what is this person who like why are they in a red dress why do they have a gun what is this and like I like was like learned through that but like wouldn't have known that otherwise. And so then being able to then like take that knowledge and be like, okay, here's John Waters. Who are other filmmakers similar to him of that time of that era? You know, it's yeah. just mm-hmm. the cool part about being gay is that it's like fun to discover these things, but it's also frustrating. Like when you look at cultures at large and like the corporations where they don't encourage curiosity. Yeah. And in fact, they just want you to be complacent with what you know and what you're comfortable with. Yeah. What's special mm-hmm about curiosity is that it doesn't have an expiration date and you will never you will never reach the end of like there's always Mm. more movies more art more culture to discover you will never Mm. hit a wall um Mm -hmm. i will say you bringing up john waters reminds me that my younger cousin is taking a film class at university of virginia and they showed pink flamingos and he texted me and he was like what's this movie what should i expect and i was like (laughs) Oh, baby. I don't even know so, how. I was so small. I was like, it's, it's, um, I'm just going to say it's a lot and enjoy. And he came back and he was like, that was insane. And I was like, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. How do I prepare you for that? I don't. And this, yeah. you know, he's a sweetie, but he's one of the straightest boys I've ever met. So, uh-huh. uh, um, I wasn't sure necessarily how to approach that conversation. Yeah. So, yes, but basically, yeah. yeah. Soapbox, totally worth it. Great Curiosity, yeah. <laughs> huge fan of it. Um, How did this movie, though, do at the time? did. Okay. I My box office stats for before 1980 are a little shaky, but I did find in um, one of Jordan's past gifts for me, um, the U.S. weekly box office top 10 charts of the 1970s. Bang, bang. Yeah. Um, that nice. it opened number eight when it premiered in March of 1970, dropped off, and then came back to the top 10 in July. What was it against, if you have? Let, let me, I will tell you right now. I'm just curious. Um, I will tell you right now that it was up against Airport, starring Burt Lancaster, uh, Cactus Flowers, starring Walter Matthau and Ingrid Bergman, Patton, George C. Scott, mm-hmm. They Shoot Horses, Don't They? A classic. Um, In Search of the mm-hmm. Castaways, Hello, Dolly. Mm. Opening right Hello, below... Dolly. Hello, Hello, Dolly, too. Bob and Carol and Ted and Alice. Okay. Mm. Um, and then MASH also premiered wow, the same weekend okay. and then shot right up there. Two Elliot Gould movies. Yeah. yeah. Look, we had Elliot Gould fever. Burning up the cinema. I still have Elliot Gould fever. It never, never left. Yeah, no. Um, I think that uh, to your earlier point about Letterbox, though, Kyle, I think that it's always interesting for yes. us to do our Letterbox game for older movies because Letterbox has huge, huge, huge recency bias. So it gives us a sense of one who's watching mm-hmm. this movie, like what the crossover is between quote unquote classic or older cinema and letterboxd users and also in this case um i saw that the boys in the band 2020 version has about like 44k people that have logged that they watched it boys in the band 1970 only has like eight and a half k wow wow yeah wow again Um, curiosity go back and watch the original but it's like it leads you if you scroll down to similar films at the bottom it's gonna lead you to the 2020 version and vice versa like it's it is letterbox is a tool a, a tool of curiosity like yeah, anything right. else yes, find yes. It, yeah. Yeah. i'm i am kind of surprised that it is that low in comparison to the remake i thought that like maybe the original would be at least half 
Yeah. It's I'm I'm telling you the like the, the recency bias is bananas where like so many people it's just it's just because like since Letterboxd started in 27 2016 or 2017 every film after that is infinitely yeah so much higher in terms of viewership yeah. um because I think that a lot of people tend to not go back and log like older like an older thing stuff yeah. that they had seen previously slash people watch may I be a pedant again oh yeah yes. so when was it when was I it believe, actually started I believe Letterboxd started in 2012 2013 because I've mm. been a, a user since 2013 let's it's go it's that old yeah wow. it, it got more popular in the last like six or seven years yeah, yeah. but especially since wow. the pandemic that's amazing yeah that's crazy I think I joined in 2015 I think I joined for my first year of college I think same but yeah. I didn't. Do, I don't. Maybe not. Maybe we're, like, we're all later. long-time users. Yes. We are long-time users. Yes. Now, can I take a guess at what the average letterbox is here? Yeah. Because again, we've talked about this. I think it's always interesting with older movies because sometimes it can be inflated where people have a better memory Old of it. Movies are better. Or they uh. have the opposite where they're like, "Oh, Boys in the Band, like three stars." So mm-hmm. I'm gonna go split the difference, and I'm gonna say like three six. Okay, Kyle, would you care to put in a guess? Not required. 3.2. It is a 3.8. Ooh, okay. Yes. Oh, wow. Most okay. People, That's kind of good. Most people give this four stars and a okay. pretty pretty healthy selection of four and a half. Let's go. As well. That's yeah. oh, wow. I, I was expecting less. Yeah. So. Um, Boys so of the I. Band 2020 has a 3.4 for what it's mm. worth. So, mm. yeah. Hmm. Original, still holding strong. Hmm. Um, but yeah, interesting, great movie. Like, I am so glad that yeah. I watched this movie. Um. It, like I said, made me need to take a walk around the block, but <laughs> it was a very worthy walk around the block. Did it make you want to like host a party? Definitely not. <laughs> the opposite. Did you walk I was, like, around nobody come singing to my house Anything ever. Goes? <sighs> you know, the so thing good. is, so this is my, this is my only annoying tidbit that I will Please. offer you is that when I was younger, I wanted to be an actor of stage and screen, um, but I don't have a very good singing voice and Anything Goes was in a pretty good range for me. So I feel like I would have done something from Chicago, but my mom was like, you're 13. You're not doing like (laughs) he had it coming. Um, So my audition song for basically my entire acting tween, preteen, teen life was Anything Goes. Great song. We got to hear it. We got to hear it. No, no. (laughs) Yes. If you do it, if you do it, I'll do it. Okay. Um, No, I don't. I, oh, this is, see, I'm telling you, I'm not an unconfident person, but I'm deeply, deeply unconfident about my singing voice. It's not that it's to. bad. No, what no, no. You feel comfortable with. It's not that it's bad quality. It's just that I can't hold a tune. You give me a melody, I'm good. You get you have me do an acapella. It's nothing. Um, in olden days, a glimpse of stocking was looked on as something shocking, but heaven knows anything goes. Wow. That's all you're getting. Wow. Good authors, too. Who wants new better words? Now only used for letter words. Writing prose. Anything, anything goes. goes. I'm all so right. happy right now. As someone who can't sing, this is but loves musicals. This is beautiful. I mean, say, like, I, mean, I don't know that I can sing. That's a very yeah. generous. Do you no, see- you sounded great. No, no, you were so oh, good. Thank you. Do you see the burden that I have to carry of being such a big musical lover but not having a singing voice? I was the same. I thought I was going to be on Broadway and then I was like, I don't have the chops to make it. I thought it was something that I grappled with at the age of 15 and yet here I am still standing um, and did, dealing with that you're self-loathing so, you're so brave. every day. That don't has worry. not stopped Idina Menzel or Beanie Feldstein. <laughs> 
no. Beanie Feldstein. Not no, Beanie. I uh, I did feel a lot better once I realized that theater actors truly made no money, even yeah. if you were Sutton Foster. Well, maybe yeah. not anymore. But like, mm-hmm. and then I felt a whole I lot mean, better. I mean, most most creatives, I would say, Brooke. Most creatives. Hey, did you know it's Double Strike Summer? It's going go. great. Um. Anyways, now on the queer quadrant scale of one to five. <laughs> How gay is this movie? I mean, I'm just going to give it a five. This is a seminal <coughs> text. I'm never going to be able to say the word text normally again. This is a seminal. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> I did this to both of you. This is a seminal queer text. Yes. I think it has so much to say about uh, gay culture and yeah. friend groups. And I like that it is speaking about a very specific slice of time. Um, it rocks. It was radical and meant a lot at the time. And I think that. I was still very affected watching it and not in a like, oh, the olden times Mm. kind of way. But I think Mm -hmm. there's a lot of modern stuff to be found in it um, if you're watching. Uh, So, yeah, I'm going to give it easy five stars. Great. Yeah. I mean, I think it's within the context of our podcast. I think it's like kind of hard to not give it five just because so much of what we deal with is like a subtextual thing and it's so How refreshing could we ask this to be any gay right like it's doing the thing <laughs> um and like you yeah. can argue whether or not like what it's saying at times is good or bad but the text of the film itself is intrinsically gay so five like who is she she's gay who was she gay who does she, who hope, does to she be? hope to be gay so <laughs> five <laughs> How about you? Yeah, that's, I, I could not have said it better myself. Um, I, I mean, like, hypothetically, there's a, like, we could be really pedantic and be like, right. the difference between gayness and queerness, but yeah. Um, yeah. I, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> but I um, I think it's a really valuable cultural artifact. I um, think it's really well written. Um, there, mm-hmm. it, it is able to... Um, occupy and examine uh, a really visceral experience of having uh, of of having to measure who you are against other people who are sensibly like you but then um have created these sort of systems and barriers to make you question if that is authentic and right and whatnot um so five stars Amazing. Beautiful. Wow. It enters yeah. the rainbow standard. Incredible. Yeah. For for a while earlier this year, I was for fun just memorizing um the monologue that Michael gives where he's just like run, charge, run, buy, borrow, make, spend, run, squander, beg, run, run, <laughs> waste, waste, waste. I have it by me, actually. Oh my oh, god, yeah. yes. Hell yeah. I mean, listen, if you want to do a full dramatic reading, we this won't is a safe space. If Are you actually allowing yes. me to do this? Yes, absolutely. Okay. You don't bring a printout to a podcast yeah. recording without okay. hoping that you get the chance to do it. Uh, well, okay, okay. You, you just think it's nifty how I've flitted from Beverly Hills to Rome to Acapulco to... Amsterdam, picking up a lot of one-night stands and a lot of custom-made duds along the trail. But I'm here to tell you the only place in all those miles, the only place I've ever been happy uh, was on the goddamn plane. Bored with Scandinavia, try Greece. Uh, Fed up with dark meat, try light. Hate tequila, what about Slavovitz? 
tired of boys. What about girls? And how about boys and girls mixed together? And in what combination? And if you're sick of people, what about poppers or pot or pills or the hard stuff? And can you think of anything else the bad baby would like to indulge as spoiled, rotten, stupid, empty, boring, selfish, self-centered self in? Is that what you think has style, Jordan Brooke? Huh? Is that what you think you've missed out on? My hysterical escapes from country to country, party to party, bar to bar, bed to bed, hangover to hangover, and all of it hand to mouth. Run, charge, run, buy, borrow, make, spend, run, squander, beg, run. Run, run, waste, waste, waste. Woo! Yeah, baby! Fun, yes. Wonderfully delivered. So much. Oh my god. Thank you. An actor in your own right. Yeah, film critic. Please, film actor. Um, yeah, it's a really, it's really fucking good. It's a really great monologue, and I think that it's still very relatable and sort of the sense of ennui and mm-hmm. also just mm-hmm. the general dissatisfaction that I think is extremely universal yeah. um, mm-hmm. and also extremely spe- specific to this idea of I'm supposed to have everything I want and living my true life and why am I not totally yeah. happy and it's it's very okay to not be totally happy but an, I not to Michael. Not to Michael. A, a one of the I think the line that stayed with me the most as I was taking my <laughs> post movie walk was uh if we could just not hate ourselves mm. so much. If we uh-huh. could just learn to not hate ourselves quite so much. And to me I think it's like it's not this movie is not necessarily about loving yourself. It's about not mm. hating yourself. Not hating and yourself. like neutrality yeah. can be a win. Yeah. Um mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This Barbie is trying to fill the void with conspicuous consumption. There you go. Timely. <laughs> this Barbie is. This Barbie is throwing rancid vibes gay. at a party. <sighs> but Kyle, you are not toxic and gay. Absolutely you are not. <laughs> wonderful, and we feel very lucky to have you. And thank you for bringing this film to the podcast. I think it was like yeah. a great learning experience and a, a chance for us to fill like a gap in yeah. our cinema resumes. Um, a, part thank of you nice so much summer. for having me. This has been so much fun. Oh, of course. So glad. And I mean, it's not every day you get a flawless monologue performed. That's so true. (laughs) More people should. I'm like wondering how many people actually do that for like monologues, because that is one that's really good. Like hearing you do it, I'm like, that would be a really like good audition tape to get in. Well, you you know, you know, just pair it with anything goes and it's a showstopper. Yes. Guaranteed role every time. Um, I'll have to ask my actor friends. Yes, yeah. I, I bet I bet we would find a couple. Oh, for sure. I don't have that many because I try not to be around NYU all the time. Yeah, I also try You're not to associate making the right choice. with people who act. As a, <laughs> as a former actor? As a former actor, I'm above that now. <laughs> I'm a writer, which is so much cooler oh, and yeah. so much more profitable. Um, especially so much both. more profitable. Especially oh, yeah. right now. In this um, time, yeah. In this economy. Kyle, you're the best. If people are not aware of your work, which huh, they should be, what are you up to and where can folks find you? Um, well, I just had a book come out called The Queer Film Guide, 100 
movies that tell LGBTQIA plus stories. Um, it's a chronological broad survey of the history of queer cinema starting from 1990 with 1919 with different from the others um all the way up to 2022 i'll let you find out which movie that is um mm. as a surprise and it has anything from um the boys in the band and cruising to things like jennifer's body and the seat of chucky and my hustler and scorpio Rising and the duke of burgundy and all sorts of movies that i think um hopefully people will be interested in i hope people who are interested in getting into queer cinema uh, find it a useful and fun resource and people who are already kind of into queer movies find some deeper cuts that you might not expect um that is available at fine book retailers everywhere i believe um and you can also find my work um in gq w magazine salon and the new york times um and you can follow me you can find my portfolio and stuff at tilekerner.com that's t-y-l-e-k-u-r-n-e-r because I'm a very creative person. It's just a spoonerism of my name. <laughs> and you can follow me on, are we calling it X Don't now? No, are we calling no, it? no, no, sorry, no. sorry. You can, you can find me on the artist formerly known as Twitter, Twitter. Mm-hmm. at Kyle Kerner. I don't, I, now that like the icon has changed on me today, it might actually stop my addiction to Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> I don't I, want to use it anymore. I felt that too. I was like, I really don't want to open the app. Mine has yeah. not changed yet, and I am gonna try to keep it that uh, way as long as possible. Yeah, I think you have to uh, actually update like the it. app. So oh, we'll, yeah. see, we'll see how long um, you can take it. Yeah, but I'm also um, on Letterbox and um, Instagram at Tyler Kerner, I believe. So but, um, thank you so much, both of you, for having me. I had such a great time, such a delightful conversation. Of you, course. You mentioned in the Queer Film Guide, of course, we've also covered Jennifer's Body. And Seed of and Chucky. And of Chucky. Seed of Chucky, uh-huh. fantastic movie. So good. It's one of the best. Most unhinged movies it, we, probably was, we've covered. But one of the best episodes yeah. we've ever recorded. The, the we very first. So good. I love uh, Billy Boyd as Glenn or Glenda. Yes. Um, yes. The, very, the very first event that I did for my book was a screening of Seed of Chucky on 35 millimeter at IFC Center. Yes, that yes, fucking yes, rocks. Yes. Ugh. Um, yeah. Well, we are also on the artist formerly known as Twitter. If you'd like to talk to us about Seed of Chucky, which I highly fucking recommend. Um, I'm at Brooke B. Solomon. Jordan H. Gus. And we're together at Queer Quadrant. And the same goes for Instagram and Letterboxd. And you can find this podcast on all major platforms. Drop us a rate. Five disastrous birthday parties only. Uh, drop us a review. Preferably without insanely digging barbs that will haunt us for the rest of our lives. I'll take it if it's five stars. Subscribe. And like I said, tweet at us. Tell us what you think about this movie and what you might like to see us cover in the future. And Brooke, what are we covering in the future? We're throwing it back even further. And because uh, our next episode is technically our Halloween episode, Mm. in two weeks we'll be covering 1962's Arsenic and Old Lace. Another movie. I love that movie. A completely unknown remake star. Starring Dan Stevens for some reason, um, but we're not. Wait, talking what? About, what is, is it? I think so. I had no idea that. There Are was you a talking, not talking about Blythe Spirit? Mm, I Wait. get those mixed up sometimes. This is nineteen forty-four. You said sixty-four. Oh, okay. There is a remake with uh, of our second old lace with Bob Crane and Helen Hayes. Definitely not what and I was Lillian thinking Gish, of. Apparently, I was. But thinking the about Dan, I think Blythe the Dan Stevens movie that you're talking about is the remake of Blythe Spirit. Yes. Sorry, I'm 
No, 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 no. This is good. I deserve to be, both times you have actually corrected something that needs to be corrected. So I wouldn't even call it a call out. It's just good. (laughs) Facts. Facts. Um, Anyway, we will be talking about the 1944 version of Arsenic and Old Lace starring Cary Grant. Grant. That one. Um, America's hunk. Go ahead and tune in within two weeks for that. And Brooke, is there anything you would like to leave the boys in the band with? Support your gay rights. Let's support your gay wrongs.